0: This is Josh Allen Friedman with Tales of My Dead Heroes. This week, in episode 13, we travel back once again to the Men's Adventure Magazine offices on Madison Avenue where men were men and women were secretaries. Much like the Mad Men TV series, except with cigar-smoked cubicles and bunkers where men in suits and ties took off their jackets and rolled up their sleeves typewriters banged and whizzed in the newsroom. Artists designed covers of war battles and pin-up girls on easels dripping with paint. Magazine management was the name of one publishing company that produced upward of a 100 magazines a month. It was founded in the 1930s by a newsstand warrior named Martin Goodman. There was Bessie Little, who ran the Ladies' Confession magazine division. The formula for each story was sin, confess, repent. A wife cheats on her husband, confesses to the crime, then repents. Rona Barrett ran a movie gossip magazine division. There were sports mags, true crime, science fiction pulps, and a one-man operation called Marvel Comics. The staples of the company then were a dozen men's adventure magazines, known in newsstand vernacular as the armpit slicks or men's sweat mags. My father, novelist Bruce J. Friedman, edited four titles a month, the flagship being Mail Magazine that sold one million copies a month. He never brought the magazines home, but I'll never forget what I saw when I visited his office as a little boy. The hard-typing men with cigars, the painters at easels, news clippings dripping from cork boards, the smell of glue and printer's ink as they pasted together pages. The art director Mel Blum was a bodybuilder, as were many of the illustrators. The magazines were sold in barber shops, train, and bus stations at the bottom of the newsstands and catered to a blue-collar World War II readership. Hundreds of writers, editors, and artists learned their craft at these pulp magazines. This was their day job. My father did his real work at night and on the Long Island Railroad train to and from the job. His novels Stern, A Mother's Kisses, and stories for Playboy and Esquire that were collected in Far From the City of Class were all written while he was still at magazine management in the 1950s and early 60s, and Mario Puzo wrote The Godfather while he was still there. You can hear Mario in episode 10 of this series, Tales of My Dead Heroes. Editor Mel Shestack became an internal legend at the office, a fabulous trickster, beloved by all the people he conned. Shestak was also a cartoonist. The following conversation was recorded in 1984 when I wrote a piece commemorating the 30th anniversary of one of these magazines. Mel was then at his desk at some other magazine of the moment. I don't remember which.
1: What year did you first go there? I got there about... Oh, God, six, it was 62. I 62. Actually. Yeah, when they just moved... I got there the, about the week after they moved to 625, or whatever it was called, Madison Avenue. They had been in a... 655. Yeah, and then they moved to 625, mm-hmm. so, And I, I got there just as they moved. I had left my wife, my advertising, a whole world behind me, and I was living with a girl I met on the street, and I had, she had a book called Far From the City of Class. I was sitting reading Far From the City of Class. When I got a call from B.J. Friedman, I made no connection. I had submitted a story, slush pile story, to Mail Magazine. Do you remember what it was called? It was about a Mexican prostitute, something like that. It didn't go to the secretary and the slush pile person for some reason. It went to a new man named Mario Puzo, who took it in to Bruce Friedman and said, there's something wacky about this story. I can't quite understand. It's not... Really, our kind of story. But there's something wacky about it. I want you to read it. For some reason, Bruce read it and called me and said he's interested in the job. And it's absolute truth. That's exactly how it happened. Huh? I didn't apply for a job. I never even heard of the place. I saw *Mail* magazine in the barber shop. I had a beard. I'd just grown the beard. How old are you? Thirty-two. I had had a whole career in advertising, from hours and everything, and I was broke. I had sold some stories to Dude and Gent and went to McCall's, all because I didn't know what else to do. I figured that was a way to do it. I never thought about being a writer per se and that kind of thing. Went in, I met Bruce. I had that time I was going to write a book on Jewish cowboys, which has never been written. Father told me that. And I was really hot on doing that. I had a contract with Stein and Day, and it was the money I was living on, but for some reason I couldn't quite put it together. What was the name of the book? Jews in the Wild West.
0: Mel never finished his book on Jewish cowboys, and I figured that was because there weren't any. But once I moved to Texas, I learned there were many.
1: Were there actually Jews in the Wild they West? Sure were. Oh, God, I mean, God, I could go in for hours and hours. From, you and mean hours. like German Jews who came they were over in They were mostly German Jews, and they were a like... Um, and they became gunslingers? Not exactly gunslingers. I call them gunslingers, but there was a guy who was the official... Moyle, the guy who was circumcised, Rabbi Jacob Alston, who was the circuit-riding rabbi, and he circumcised all the Jewish kids in Colorado. And there were a lot, because Colorado had had a lot of German. There were German Jews who came over in the 1850s and 60s. They worked on a the railroad. They were cattle buyers. A guy named Jacob Bondi, who was with who was with uh, John Brown, and he became a colonel in the Civil War. There were no Wild West famous gunsmen oh, yeah. who Jacob, were fighting. Jacob Studenmeyer, Jacob Studenmeyer was a two-gun marshal of El Paso. He killed thirty-one people in gunfights. And God help anybody who committed a crime on Saturday. He also had the streets paved of El Paso because he hated horses. Rode a bicycle.
0: Mel Schestak's soft cons never amounted to his own profit, and those who fell for them felt chosen. He once had Mario Puzo waiting out on a dock at 3 a.m. for a black market shipment of shirts for 50 cents apiece. The boat never arrived.
1: I had an uncle in the shirt business. And a lot of times my thing is kind of Why people get in difficulty with me is most about 80% of the time I come through. And therefore, you know, because it started out real like all of them, they start out real, and then something happens in the middle that didn't work.
0: My father wrote about this in his article about those days. Even the rhinos were nymphos. But Mel convinced my father that J.D. Salinger was coming out of his legendary seclusion, and his first stop was to visit magazine management because he loved Mail Magazine. Mel said he received this information from the man who pruned Salinger's trees and hedges. My dad stayed late at the office one night, awaiting Salinger's arrival, but he never showed. So, my father and Mario together discovered you that publication? That's right, that's right. And I
1: was hired. I mean, I was hired. I didn't know what I had to do. He said, you ever been an editor? I said, no. He said, that's good. He said, you have to have a certain kind of imagination and one foot in the asylum.
0: Mel Shestak did, perhaps, have one foot in the asylum, but he was a decent
1: individual. I fit. Like I couldn't fit better, and I immediately, I, I, I mean, within one day, it was if, as if I had come home. I have never, in all the 463 years, and 895 jobs that I have had, and uh, my own kind of notoriety, but I'm accused, like Jesse James, not a Jewish cowboy. I have been accused of every crime in Missouri, you know, but I, but I, so everything is always thrown on me. But the fact remains, at magazine management, it was terrific. It was exciting. It was a, what Bruce J. Friedman allowed you to do was to think for yourself and do it. You just did it your way, his way. I mean, he had certain rules, but you can, you, within those rules, like writing a sonnet, I mean, it's total creativity within the form, and you can do anything you want. What was the form? It. The form was that it was all imagination. I mean, it was the idea, it was, it was so imaginative that it was real. Even when we made up these World War II stories, they were more real. A guy who had been at Anzio could not create a story about Anzio as well as the people who wrote for magazine management.
0: His specialty was stories on adventure jobs, and plenty of them. What was your
1: specialty? There? Mine? The writing a specialty. My writing were the adventure jobs. I made them all up. That was a real problem because people used to call (laughs) and say, where do I get a job milking snakes? (laughs) (laughs) Big money, you get $50 every snake you milk to get the venom. (laughs) Milking the venom. Yeah, I mean, like in Ocala, Florida, and the people would go to Ocala, or... or, uh, Ocala, Florida? Ocala, Florida. Or there was a job, I had a great job that I came up with was keeping whores in good shape in Las Vegas by being them as masseuse, <laughs> keeping them all the time. <laughs> and <they> <laughs> <laughs> The best one of all is when we had a job, was a job that you can make $50,000 marrying hookers to save them. And there was a foundation. I made up the name of a foundation and said it was somewhere out west, you had to find it. Now we never, what happened once was this guy all of a sudden Mr. Goodman said, "Mel, you better go out there. You better take care of this." He didn't know that these were made-up places, Martin Goodman. I never told you him. You didn't even know. Do you assume that he did not know that these? Were I made assume people? he did not know. He believed. It. I think he, he read, read every page. He probably. read every page. He must have. Been, but I always did. I never said this was at box three forty-six. I just said out in a, out in Florida, where there's a place in. And there's, you know... You didn't specifically... I, no, I, I figured that our readership couldn't write. And... Uh, did you
0: get any... Despite that, did you get letters or...
1: just oh, is the same. So one day he called people. me, there was a man, a nine feet tall, all neck, with hands as big as, you know, his tennis rackets. And he said, I want to marry one of them hoos. He was a state trooper from uh, California. He read about it. He had the clip. He said, you G.G. G. Burke? G.G. G. Burke was one of my, we all had pseudonyms, and I was G.G. Burke. And I had these, these quote, adventure jobs, a way to make it in a good man's way. He said, I'm ready. He said, I don't even care about the $5,000. Fella up and so-and-so married a whore, and he's a great wife. And I looked at him, and I, knew, I said, like, God, you know, hundreds, and hundreds and hundreds of men, you're late. When did you read the issue? I said, Our offices be besieged. I don't have any time. I'm here on weekends finding them up. But what happened is we've run out of horses. <laughs> Well, I became the editor of True Action. and what uh, point? About the second year. I was the one person your father gave a magazine of his own to. I had True Action. And it, it was a magazine of phenomenal unimportance. <laughs> That's what I liked about it. Unimportant. nobody would ever check. I could just, you know, I, I literally wrote the whole thing. It's 1964 and I have three more Nazis to kill, you know, and that kind of stuff. It gave me a chance. I learned whatever writing I learned. And I'm not the world's greatest writer, but I've written and sold maybe three or four hundred things under different names. But I learned to do it. I mean, Bruce would edit. Bruce is the world's, was the world's greatest editor. I also learned. I had to take the magazine. I wrote it. I pasted it up. I, I, I spec typed. We worked with the art directors. I, I know how to do. Nobody today learns how to put a magazine together the way you learn at magazine management.
0: In 1965, when Marvel Comics was only known to adolescent boys, the great Italian director, Federico Fellini, made a pilgrimage to the office with his producer and legendary publisher, Angelo Rizzoli. Fellini himself had begun as a cartoonist. Stanley recalled that the receptionist announced, There's a Fred Fellini here to see you! But it was Shestak who ushered Fellini in when they wouldn't let him through.
1: Fellini, one day, Fellini came into the office with Mr. Rizzoli, I believe. And there was someone who worked for Stan Lee, named Fabulous Flo Steinberg, is what they called her in the comic books. She was the secretary of the comic thing. She had a little voice. And one day she said, Stan, there's a Mr. Fellini on the phone. Do you want to talk to him? And Stan said, who's he with? And he said, Rizzoli Phil. <laughs> Can he come up? He's a comic book fan. But anyway, Mr. Rizzoli, Alain Cluny, who was the star of La Dolce Vita and of Satyricon, and Fellini, Fellini in white socks. And he looked, he reminded him of Mario. When you first meet Mario, you don't know who he is. The it was open the, and they didn't want to whoever was at the desk in front wouldn't let him in. And I, I brought as I remember, I... I don't know who this is, blah, blah, blah. blah. He said, I'm just a guy who likes comic books. But he met privately with Stan Lee? For a few minutes. But he, like but he your met with mother was. Your mother was there that day. So he spent some time with we us. <laughs> we were more interesting. I mean, we were living comic books where those were just things on paper.
0: As the legend goes, Fellini made a fuss over Stan Lee's comics that day. Then Mr. Izzoli discussed some kind of distribution deal with Martin Goodman, but that was according to Mel, who also says Fellini made a bigger fuss over the men's adventure mags when he saw them being laid out. Martin Goodman, the founder of Magazine Management, is remembered today as the man who began Marvel Comics around 1939. He hired his wife's nephew, Stan Lee, who took a little corner office at Magazine Management in 1961, and created the Marvel age of comics with new titles like Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, and the Hulk. Nobody in their wildest dreams imagined it would skyrocket into a multi-billion
1: dollar industry. Mr. Goodman always wore a hat. Often, often wore a fedora in the office. Not always, but he wore a fedora in the office. And he's a one man in the world. I'm really not afraid of, except for my ex-wife, I've never been afraid of anybody. But Goodman always instilled a sort of respect and Fear. And, uh, I don't even say, hey, Mr. Goodman. That's right. They would say, Excuse me, sir. sir and I also drew cartoons in my magazine, If that's what I started out as a cartoonist. I still draw cartoons, yeah. and I sell cartoons to magazines. I drew a cartoon of Mr. Goodman of a kindergarten, and in it was Mr. Goodman as a student, as a little kid in short pants. He's wearing his fedora, and the teacher is saying, Johnny, you play the sticks. <laughs> and, Billy, you do this, and Mr. Goodman, (laughs) you do that. He saw it, he looked at it, he said, You think you're very funny. Someday you'll find out how funny you are.
0: Writer Dorothy Gallagher reminisced about magazine management. She was quoted as saying, The magazines were produced the way Detroit produced cars. She said, I worked on the fan magazine line. On the other side of a five-foot partition was the romance magazine line and across a corridor were the financial staples of the organization, the men's magazines. She described the decor as insurance company blah, grayish white walls and foam tile ceilings, overhead fluorescent fixtures, gray metal desks, except for the executive offices, which faced Madison Avenue and had carpets and windows. The space was divided into jerry-built bullpens with head-high partitions. Editors got a
1: glassed-in area in each bullpen. Salaries were low, but you could make a hell of a lot of money. Uh, and I forgot, freelancing, what, yeah, freelancing and- to yourself. I mean, everything you wrote, you got paid for. Mm-hmm. That's great. Jeez, that yeah, I you know. We, no, it doesn't happen anywhere, and that's why everybody was so happy there. Do you, you want to go on a trip? I remember once we wanted to go to Montreal for some reason for the weekend. I knew if I stayed up that night and wrote. Some kind of stupid story, whatever it was. I said, Bruce, I need a story, and he would look. He knew what I could do. Whatever the one, he said, you do this one. In the morning, I turn it in. He'd look at it, write three hundred and fifty dollars. Friday, I have three hundred fifty dollars, which was more than enough then to take a plane to Montreal. We went to Montreal, had money left over. I mean, you could, if you could plan your life, it was, magnificent. Magnificent. it was magnificent. But there was a constant stream of people coming in—cartoonists and writers and Schlepps and God knows who and friends of all of ours, all of our friends came up. What was the Gloria Steinem incident there? What was her
0: interest in magazine? Oh. Her fascination
1: with magazine. I, well, I had interviewed her for something else and I brought her up there and she met. She just thought it was quite wonderful. It was a pre-liberation days. She was around, you know, like people are around, like yeah. you're around in sense of, on your way up, you know. She came up there, and uh, I think she wanted to write for it, I don't know what happened. I know that she was around a couple of times, and Jules was madly in love with her for a day. She's very attractive, then. They're all out of sight.
0: A lot of writers who didn't even work at magazine management would just come to hang out for the camaraderie, like Richard Yates and Wallace Markfield.
1: There was a guy named Wallace Markfield, who was a well-known humorist writer and novelist who came up to do a story about magazine management there was some literary type magazine Bruce had written Stern and you know the things were beginning to happen Godfather hadn't been written yet but that Markfield loved it so much he was there the second week and it was Good Friday and he says God we'll be off I remember him saying we'll be off tomorrow he, he, he became part of them.
0: There were hundreds of men's adventure magazines after World War II, and they were essentially comic books for grown men. It was a blue-collar market. And though they were fantasy magazines, they had to maintain some kind of credibility. I mean, I was
1: into uh, of making the impossible believable. I did a lot of, of getting my friends into pictures of showing, you know, people robbing and pickpocketing and breaking into apartments and and being, you know, they were all posed by, in fact, once Arthur Kretschmer, now the editor of Playboy, once posed, breaking into my Mercury, which I had then in a parking lot as a guy, beware the, you know, beware the guys who break into cars type of story. They had not only greatest people, the illustrations, these wonderful illustrations of, of women, in the Aleutians, and there'd be guys, Japs with, with Japs and heavy furs with with, with icicles coming out <laughs> of her nose, but she, she'd be wearing a mini-mini skirt with high heels and carrying a <laughs> submachine gun, and her, her park would be open, she'd have no fear on, she'd be popping out shooting, with us. and yet it seemed real. You believed that that would happen, that that happened the Aleutians, that this ragtag band of, those were com- comic strips for grown-up They men. were comic strip for grown-up men, and they always dealt with the kind of man who was never an officer, it was always a sergeant who ran things, there was a blue-collar So there was always some guy who had been a mechanic, or an ex-army sergeant, or a guy who was a truck driver, who drywall finisher, something like that, would meet the boss's daughter, who would come back from Vassar, and she'd be a real bitch. What he'd do was screw her in the back seat of a car, always in some kind of thing where the car would be in a garage and it would be up on the top, you know, would move up. She'd get no pleasure out of it. Boom, boom, boom. And then, boy, her life changed. She found a real man.
0: I haven't even touched upon the many great illustrators who worked at magazine management. But among the many writers who worked there were novelist Mickey Spillane, John Bowers, George Penty, who wrote the first book on the Kennedys, gossip columnist Rona Barrett, the experimental novelist David Markson, novelist Walter Wager, whose books were later made into Clint Eastwood films, Ernest Tidyman, who wrote The French Connection and Shaft, Martin Cruz Smith, who wrote Gorky Park. They even published news stories by classic writers like Erskine Caldwell and William Soroyan when they were in need of a quick paycheck. The Shestack's bunker was in between Mario Puzo and a writer named George Fox. When my father left the company in 1966, Shestak himself went over to the Saturday Evening Post.
1: Fox had people Nazis boiled in chocolate and a boy shooting them off today fall into a big vat of boiling chocolate and they put down eating <laughs> You know, Mario was Mario was a Cecil B. DeMille of the men's magazines, I and mean, they were great armies. And boy, oh, he could get lots of characters. You read through all for of his stories, or yeah, or a lot well, I one. had edited, I edited that stuff, and I read it all. I read it the Saturday Evening Post. I ed- I went from that to editing. The very first day I was at the Post, I edited a piece by Hannah Arendt. I mean, so and you're a young man, what are you doing? Oh, Jesus! And people like that, John O'Hara. <laughs> And I, I was I was saying, you're, you're okay, Aaron, but you're no Walter Kalins, you know, you're no Joe Millard.
0: <laughs> Melvin B. Shestak passed away in 2005 at the age of 75. He never finished the book on Jewish cowboys, but did publish several books, including the Country Music Encyclopedia, 1974 and a book on New York mayor Ed Koch called How Am I Doing? Magazine management was renamed the Marvel Comics Group in 1973 and evolved into Marvel entertainment in the 21st century. This is Josh Allen Friedman with Tales of My Dead Heroes. Visit our website at blackcracker.fm for photos and illustrations. We'll see you next time.